hamster with a blunt penknife and do it quicker. Welcome back to A Hamster with a Blunt Penknife, a Doctor Who commentary podcast. I am Dylan, here once again with Joe to talk about more Jodie Whittaker. Joe, how's it going? Oh, marvellous. Thank you very much. Uh, talking about Jodie Whittaker is one of our favourite things to do. It's all we ever do. Or people will think so, the amount of ones you've done on this show. <laughs> yeah, Dylan, I, I believe you're in a quite a cold, cold climate at the moment. I am in a cold climate. I'm up. I'm about two and a half thousand feet up in a uh, a little ski town in Austria with work, um, and I'm podcasting live from there to keep myself out of trouble. That's wonderful. This is the most stylish podcast I've done. You know, in a ski <laughs> resort in a nice snowy location. Are you having fun? I'm having a lovely time. Uh, it's a lot of hard work, and I'm trying to keep out of trouble in the evenings doing podcasts and stuff like that. What what nobody knows is. Well, well, you'll know this because I messaged you last night, but two two floors down, David Bradley's down there because he's in the film we're making. Oh, I, I never thought there'd be a porno with David Bradley in it, but <laughs> <do you> know, <laughs> <laughs> it takes all sorts, you know. Um, well, quite. Wow. I, I, obviously, we can't disclose uh, what you are filming, but uh, uh, one day you'll be able to, right? Yeah, it will be announced in the press in the next few weeks. I should say, guys, it's most of you won't even know what this is because you won't know the first film. So it's not like I'm going to be like, what's Dylan working on? Oh, it's Bond. It's James Bond or Doctor Who, the movie. It's, a, it's just a it's, it's a... it's a job. It's an exciting job. It's going to be a lot of fun when it's finished. You're telling me you're not working on Doctor Who, the movie? Unfortunately not. Oh, um, on then. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> one day, one day. Dylan, we are here today to talk about... Now, is this a... We're here to talk about The Flux. We're going to be doing all six episodes. Uh, I'm so pleased that you agreed to do all six episodes of this. Um, You and I are both incredibly fond of this season. In the last episode we recorded, I think we both put it third in one of so, yeah. our top three seasons. And that's pretty high, you know, given how many it's yeah. been. Um, do you think that's a sort of consensus point of view? No, I don't think it is. But I also think this is one of those seasons that as um, time moves on, I think it will get reevaluated, and I think people will start to love it more. I think people were far too concerned with the ratings and where it was going and all their theories with different plot points and things like that and that didn't turn out to be true. So their own sort of their own theories kind of spoilt what was actually going out on screen, essentially, I think. But I I think it remains a unique series of Doctor Who. There is nothing else like it. And I think you give it a few years and when it's, you know, repeat, well, not repeated, you don't do repeats anymore, but when the, the, the big Blu-ray Bells oh, and Whistles you. version of that <laughs> comes out, I know. <laughs> when it's repeated on BBC Two, on UK Gold. Um, but um, no, I think when the Bells and Whistles Blu-ray version of it comes out one day, everybody will go, what a fantastic bit of television that was. Okay, so when it comes to season 11 and season 12, yeah, I understand why a certain portion of the audience wouldn't like those two takes on the show one is you know as we said one is very continuity light sort of sunday evening serial type mm-hmm. doctor who and the other is going in completely the other direction and you know throwing a fucking bomb on doctor who continuity <laughs> and watching all the debris rain down and fandom cry in the corner um 
I am a bit baffled that more people don't celebrate this because I've watched this through a good number of times now. Yeah. I don't think I'm I'm not a critical viewer. Like Jesus, go listen to me talking about <laughs> Stephen Moffat stories. Um, but minute by minute, I think this is hugely entertaining. I think it's visually stunning. I think it's got twist after twist going through it. I think it has lots of plots that are weaved through six episodes very skillfully. I think it introduces a ton of brilliant new characters like Swarm and Azure and Dan and Kevin McNally's character. What's his name? Eustatius Jericho. Yes, yeah, exactly. The, uh, the, the Snake Man, what's his name? The Snake Man? Oh, oh, oh. I haven't got to that episode yet. Yeah, the here. Grand Serpent. The Grand, the Grand Serpent. Serpent. Oh, he's marvellous, oily bastard. Um, well, I've, I, I might have a bit of uh, goss, industry goss, but I'm going to wait until we get to his episode about that. Not that he's a bad person or anything like that. I haven't had the Grand Serpent. Have <laughs> I haven't had the Grand, the Grand Serpents, but uh, oh. I, did, I, I did hear some rumours about his involvement and who he may have replaced. Oh, Simon. God, I can't wait. But so, yeah, great original characters. I think it's got fantastic cliffhangers. Oh, yeah. I'm not sure the resolutions are ever spectacular, but the cliffhangers... But, where, but whenever are they? Like, oh. in Doctor Who? Like, how many cliffhangers can you honestly say that was a good resolution? I think it introduces a companion in a brilliant way, a really likeable companion. It yeah. takes a companion that was underserved and gives her shit tons to do. Yeah. And it takes an already formed doctor and gives her her best material yet. So I don't understand. I don't get it. I do not get it. I think this is really fun. We can only assume the Doctor Who fans are wrong. Oh, I do that all the time. <laughs> yeah, I do that all the time. So can I ask you then, before we go into the Halloween apocalypse, um, sort of what your reaction was to this as it was going out? Like your first... I mean, I loved it. I, um, as, I, as I said before, Series 11 took a bit of getting used to. Series 12, I was in right from that first episode and I loved the whole thing. So by the time Series 12 finished, I was itching for whatever the next season would be and obviously it took a little bit longer because of covid and i guess we'll talk a bit more about the impacts covid may or may not have had on this um as we go along but i was i was in from the it was the most excited i've been at about doctor who i think in probably since early moffat like season six which i know is not a favorite of yours but it, it, it's one of those things where i was just like right this is I have to watch it live. I can't miss an episode. I need to. I need to know the resolution to all these plot points and where where the story is going to go next straight away. So I was absolutely hooked. Don't you worry. You, me, and Luke Malloy are going to hash out the impossible astronaut <laughs> day of the moon with a six pack of beers and three condoms. All right. <laughs> Don't you worry. <laughs> That's going to be a recording to not miss out on. Um, well, uh, shall we? Skip into episode one Why and not? see um and see just what Chris Chibnall has to offer. I really want to talk a bit about uh COVID as well yeah. and the impact that's had on this because I think it had primarily positive impact on, on flux in Me terms too. of its, its visuals and things like that. But all right, well, why don't you count us in? Okay, well, let's press play in five, four, three, two, one. Play.
push my button any day. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what do you think about this? Uh, do you like when we don't quite know what where the story's been? You know, we sort of yes. halfway I, here. I love this this sort of cold open, and I think I can see. It's exactly the sort of thing that pisses off hardcore Doctor Who fans, this sort of fun little skit. But I'm just like, it's peak Doctor Who. You've got this tiny, it's just a tiny little adventure. And it just says big, bold adventure right from the start. He's really going for the fun jugular, isn't it? Yeah. In a way that like in series 11, he didn't really very much, did he? It was, mm. very, it was sort of very, very worthy, a lot of that. Here we've got... Boiling acid seas. They're yeah. hanging upside down by a grav bar. They're being shot at by drones. You know, yeah. it's all going on. This is more Saturday night entertainment, though, as well. I do think this is a series that would have sat better in the schedule on a Saturday night. But again, who watches live apart from people like me? How often do you think? I can't think of too many times when Doctor Who does this or drops us in. I know Moffat did it quite a bit. Yeah. But Moffat would throw in like good ideas for a story and have them over and done with in like 30 seconds. And you'd be like, that, that, that 30 seconds yeah. is more interesting than what's going on on screen for the next 45 minutes. Frequently. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the joke she has in a minute. I've said to you before, I really feel as if someone was taking an eye over these scripts, you know, and going, well, look, put some jokes in. All right. You make it funny. Yeah. There's this bit with the handcuffs in a minute where she's going, release! <laughs> and she goes, she tries to do it all Scottish as well, to be like Capaldi. Yeah. Uh, she's fantastic. Um, and I, I also think this is trying to answer some of the criticisms that perhaps Jodie's Doctor isn't as funny as people would like her. But, I mean, I don't think that's a criticism that really rings true, if I'm honest. Not at all. But I think I mean, she gets her funniest material in her third year. Absolutely. But she's just like all of them. She's so mm. confident at this point. Like in their third year, they're always just riding high. I know. And you, you're just ready to see that that fourth big year, and we, we never get it. I think um, her finest performance is in her of an episode is in her third year, and it's in the flux season. I don't think it's this one. No, I do think she's okay. brilliant in this. But we'll get there. All right. Amazing. I I think. I saw somebody slagging off the special effects of this particular scene on Twitter what? recently, and I just think it looks glorious. It looks incredible. And this is one of the things I think that um, COVID forced them to do. They had to do a lot of green screen. They couldn't go out as much, could they? Yeah. They couldn't go overseas. So, do you know, as a result, though, and I'm going to say something uh, that my friend Nathan Bottomley, who really dislikes this era, but it's something very positive that he says about this season, is suddenly Doctor Who looks really weird again. Yeah. It's weird and visually interesting in oh, a way that it hasn't for a bit. I was thinking about that when I was watching these first two episodes the other day. There is not... There is not a series of Doctor Who like this in many ways, but visually especially. Oh, the mattress. We need to talk about the mattress. Yeah, come on. Let's talk about this. That made the internet, um, you know, burst with excitement. Now, it could be a perfectly innocent mattress left there for things like that. But why would you go to the... Um, why, why would you make it up if it was just there to catch you when you're falling? They've been doing naughty things on that mattress. Oh, they're just having it off. Yeah. yeah. Between stories. We just don't see that stuff. Yeah, it's just some... Really. Heavy scissoring in between adventures. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh, I need to sleep tonight. <laughs> oh, look at me batting away a sexual comment. I see. I know, I know. Um, okay, so what do you think about 
the structure of this because the season changed and initially it was a longer run with yeah. more guest writers and i think a lot of what's in here was going to be done as individual stories i would imagine yeah. sort of joseph williamson stuff would have been an individual episode yeah i mean from my understanding what chris chibnall said was they made eight episodes for the price of ten so it's these six and then the uh the easter special or the slot that was given to the Easter special and then the Christmas special. And I guess that kind of rings true. I, I'm always a little hesitant when people talk about COVID affecting Doctor Who's production because from, I think it was August of the, the pandemic, was it 2019 or 2020? I can't remember. Whichever, whichever the first year of the pandemic was. Oh, it was 2020, wasn't it? Television and film were given special dispensation to continue shooting because everybody was trapped in their houses and watching everything. Um, so while it's true to say that COVID has an impact on people's budget, no, not even budgets, what it has on the production methods, it doesn't particularly add any more time to how you're shooting something. And most companies give you a COVID budget separately from your production budget. So I think it was more about them figuring out the safe way to do things. But I don't necessarily believe that they they couldn't have made Doctor Who like during that time the way it was it previously was. I think they just saw it as a chance to do something completely different. What's so interesting about Flux is he didn't just say, right, well, fine, then we're going to do six individual episodes like we yeah. normally do. He's like, no, I'm going to lean into my strengths. So what's his big hitter before this? Broadchurch with yeah. this sort of long running story with all these different chapters. And even like the end of this episode, which boy, when we get there, I want to talk about that. Um, he does the same thing that he does at the end of most broadcast episodes, which is catches you up with every single character and where they are in the narrative. It's absolutely him playing in that same sort of ballpark. Yeah, we haven't I mean, seen anything like this before. No, and do you know what? I, the, the big disappointment for me when um, Chris Chibnall took over, I thought, okay, that's what they're going to do. They're, it's going, Doctor Who's going to be a 10-part serial all interlinked. And I, I think... The initial disappointment I had with Series 11 was an, a lot of, oh, this is just sort of more of the same. And I wanted a big reinvention and he doesn't do it, then he does it now. And I think it works spectacularly. And I would love Doctor Who to stay in this format. I don't think it will. From what we know about Ross T. Davis' his era. I, I, just I, I think this it. is a, a one-off, but a bloody yeah. one. Yeah. Um, but I love that they've thrown us, We, you know, in this, we're, what, we're five minutes in, something like that, and we've had this mini adventure with the doctor and Yaz we've had this guy in a tunnel in Liverpool in the past and then we meet Dan and um it's Diane isn't it Dan yeah. and Diane yeah essentially apart from a very few characters like the Grand Serpent and Jericho every plot is introduced here yeah every single one and I think you know when people first watch this I watched it I was lapping it up going what the hell is going on what who's this who's that like that and I was getting sort of more and more excited and then towards the end of the episode I was going there's too much going on. I don't think he knows what's going on. And then when he hit with mm -hmm. that cliffhanger with every character, right? This is where they all are in this narrative. Yeah. I know exactly where they are and where they're going. I had goosebumps, like narrative yes. goosebumps of like, okay, this is really exciting. He knows what he's doing. Let's go yeah. on the ride, you know? Absolutely. And I think he's he's very clever at wrong-footing people throughout. And I'll come, there's a few of them as you, as you go along. Um, 
but I the introduction of Dan, I know we've, we've just sort of missed it, but it's such a lovely thing. It's just this guy that just really loves his city. And you just know instantly you're going to love him, that he's great and that you can trust him. And I think, you know, a lot of the time people say stuff about um, Chibnall's characterization that he he can't do those sort of things that Rusty Davis is very good at. But you get it all in Dan's first scene. He's so charming, isn't he? Um, he is. John Bishop. So charming. I've heard people say that he's not given much of a performance. He's just being John Bishop. Who cares? John yeah. Bishop is fucking charming. You know, like, uh, oh, Tom Baker isn't. Can we talk about the visuals in this scene? Yes. Yeah, we can. Yeah, we can. Oh, boy. And, and you're seeing, like, again, this is old school Gallifrey. These are two Gallifreyans, like, yeah. part of the division. It's like, it's all of a sudden, it's this big, epic Time Lord tale. He hasn't forgotten what he's done the previous season with the Timeless Child. We're just getting more and more of his version of Doctor Who and his version of Gallifrey. Now, I wouldn't swap Hyper Camp Swarm for anything. You know, the bit where he walks in the room and goes... Dan Lewis, you know, it's, like, <laughs> it's one of my favorite entrances ever. But this fellow who's playing the earlier swarm before he yeah. changes, it's not the same actor, is it? I don't think it is. No, he's but... really scary. He's doing this sort of weird, raspy breathing. Yeah, he's really creepy. I love this idea of this this creature that's so powerful that they've had to imprison him for centuries and centuries. And just by being there and absorbing the environment around him, he's figured out a way over thousands of years or hundreds of thousands of years to escape. I, I also, I really like the fact that, you know, this is called the Halloween apocalypse and I figured, okay, so it's just going to be like a, an old school horror story. Mm. And he didn't do that. He no. you know, obviously used it as a springboard to tell this enormous narrative, but within it, he had individual scenes that were really creepy. This Absolutely. is one, the one with Dyer being forced into the building, the yeah. angel at the door. Like, there's some serious scares in this one. Absolutely. And the camera work as well, just like all the weird angles they go in on Old Swarm here. It's just gorgeous. Jamie Magnus Stone was quite a fine, wasn't he? Yes, yeah. Um, and long may he continue. Is he coming back? I don't know. I feel like... Is he coming back? I don't know, but I hope he comes back. Yeah, so do I. So do I. I'm going back to Dan for a second, right? Because I, I, I do, you know, we've got six hours to fill here, so we've got a lot. <laughs> I do want to address some of the complaints people have about this as well. So it's not, oh, you know, we're going to celebrate this because we love it. Oh, my word. That is that is giving me Hellraiser vibes. I know. It's absolutely hideous. You couldn't have done this. You couldn't have told this story in 2005. I don't mm. think people would have accepted this on sort of mainstream television. Do you imagine yeah. this is how it started? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is a confident series that's been running for the best part of 15 years. And I think, like, you know, the that's, that's the most shocking thing Chris Chibnall could do with something that completely broke the format. Yeah. And the, like, Swarm and Azur, they are the best villains to me that the new series has created. I think like, I'm not entirely sure what they're all about. Like, I know, oh, no. I know what they want to do and, and I know they're fabulous and they look amazing and, you know, they're, they're um, sleek as hell, but uh, I'm not, I'm, I'm not quite sure what their motivation is at all. Yeah. <laughs> but they're amazing. Don't get me wrong. Whenever they're on screen, I cannot take my eyes off them. Yeah, I mean, I think they're just that 
typical sort of Doctor Who villain in a way. They're just evil bastards who want to destroy shit because it, it they enjoy it. To be fair, I'm not sure we ever really got beyond the motivation of like Soul Deed or people like that either. You know, no, I'm not sure we've ever really got behind the motivation of the Master. To be honest, like I know he thinks he's playing some game with the Doctor or she's playing some game with the Doctor, but even so, I just like it's a fair oversight after 55 years. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all this stuff. Now, I wasn't quite sure about this, right? So the TARDIS is effectively bleeding, which is a great mm. visual. And I love the gag of the door. Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> you know, the bit where they come up through the floor and he goes, well, that's a funny old place to come into this room. Yeah. <laughs> um, is it because of the flux? I think so, yeah. I think it's a combination of the flux and whatever Swarm, whatever swarm is doing to try and get to the Doctor. And they do address the fact that it's been damaged because in Eva the Daleks, she just basically does a systems reset. Yeah. In may I say a stunning effect sequence? Yeah, one of the best. Now I've heard people say this is a bit much, right? That Dan, he works in a food bank. He doesn't take any food home for himself. You know, <clears throat> wants to spend his life, you know, be, doing nice things for people. I say to those people with that criticism, we could do with a more, a few more people like this in life. You know, we we could. But what I would say is, how's Dan going to pay for the drinks at the pub on his date with Diane? Is she paying for them all? I guess she is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he is fat though, isn't he, John Bishop? He is, he's lovely. He just he just feels like a warm dad-like figure. And I think, you know, it's, uh, the, the lazy criticism is, oh, he's just Bradley Walsh Mark II, but he's not. He's, he's lying, Bradley yeah. Walsh. Because I, I, I don't think um, John Bishop probably has the chops to sell some of those really intense scenes that Bradley Walsh did. Yeah. Um, but then I don't think Bradley Walsh is as sort of effortlessly likable mm. as John Bishop is. Oh, absolutely. He's um he's just an, another lovely little cat. I do remember when they announced him as Dan the Plasterer with that little sting at the end of uh, the the New Year special, and it just being the most underwhelming thing <laughs> in the world. Yeah. It's like, oh, stick well, around for something exciting. I think the oh, twist yeah. was supposed to be it was John Bishop. Not, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not that he's just getting out of a van outside of a house. <laughs> also, though, we know he never mentions the plastering after this. We, we don't see. No, well, someone doesn't know. Diane says, you've got a trade. Uh, you've got a trade. You Use it. And he's like, no, yeah. Happy, just although I did say hear someone say a very nasty thing about him. Um, what was it? He started off, you know, penniless and he couldn't feed himself, and he ended up the series homeless. <laughs> what a run! <laughs> I mean, it's it's very in keeping with the current government, so I don't, I don't know whether it's a political commentary right there. Oh, if Rusty Davis in charge, you'd be making that point, you know. <laughs> but a shrinking house. Yeah. I love that so much. And on the toilet where they go, sorry. (laughs) But also the shrinking house to me is like a little wrong foot for the audience of like, oh, it could be the master because they brought back the tissue compression eliminator the season before. So I even thought of that, you know. Yeah. So I like what he was setting up that that gag where she gives him the house in his hand and goes, There's your house. (laughs) Now Carvin Easter. Uh, I don't quite buy the helmet. I think the helmet looks a bit weird, but I'm glad he takes it off um, because I think this is one of the most fantastic characters in this in a, in a run full of fantastic characters. He's, He's amazing, um, and these two together as well. Yeah. It, it's gold. These two together. Yeah. 
but they've been the subject of some very dirty fan art together. They're not, have they? Yes, they are. <laughs> oh, hang on. I think, did John Bishop see some of that? I think he did, yeah. I think it was like <laughs> him on a TV show. No, yeah. Don't tell me people are doing bestiality art of John Bishop <laughs> and that dog. <laughs> they are. You people are sick. Okay. <laughs> uh, but do you know what? It's such a cute face, isn't it? Yeah. When he touches his nose and he goes, oh, you've done really well there. <laughs> but it is, it's a cute face. We all love dogs. It's playing with that Russell T. Davis thing of, um, you know, making animals sort of the the least species. But also, like, the guy that plays him plays it completely straight. Yeah, like, I know there's this comedy to it and sells a performance from behind this mask, which, you know, and he is a he is a threat. I love the bit where the doctor comes in the spaceship later and he goes, oh, God, what do you want? <laughs> <laughs> because they're old mates, though, as well, aren't they? Well, at one point, the Doctor and yeah, well, Easter used to travel time, together. Yeah. He, yeah, he's or I think they say that he was her first companion as yeah. uh, the the oh, God, what's she called? The Roof Doctor. Yeah, Just yeah. the Doctor. Yeah, um, the, it's um, canon shattering stuff. <laughs> Just thrown in very casually. I love just the Doctor and Yaz together. Me too. Now, I don't get me wrong. I think her, Yaz, and Dan, that's the best combination that they yeah. ever had. Um, but it's really nice just to see. And it kind of shows you what you said in those earlier seasons. There's just too many companions there. And she yeah. really gets a chance to shine now. Mm. They're a fantastic duo. And all of a sudden, I'm just like, I, I need another season of these two together. Mm. Um, and, you know, by the time you get to the power of the Doctor, you really believe you're breaking up like a... a strong friendship slash more that bit in Eve of the Daleks where the, the, it sort of just stops and she confesses that she has feeling I can't believe I cannot believe they are going here and yeah. I'm so pleased that they are yeah and that lovely scene on the beach you get in Legend of the Sea Devils oh yeah. They, yeah yeah which is just and it's it's you know in a way it's it's not doing anything that the doctor hasn't said before but obviously people get het up about it because they're the sort of people who think the Doctor sh should be either asexual or is straight, which I can tell you right from the Hartnell Doctor, I don't think that any of these Doctors give off big straight alpha male energy. Can I tell you, all right, I saw William Hartnell's Doctor and Nero semi-naked <laughs> talking together. I don't know what they got up to before that camera started rolling. But... <laughs> it's the only time we've seen him in a sauna and it's with yeah. a man. Very true, very true. <laughs> and he never he never flirts. Actually, he does flirt a bit with Barbara, doesn't he? Really hard will be turning his grave right now. <laughs> I don't know whether he would. There's always been rumours about uh, William Hartnell and um, uh, Jack Pitt, who was an extra who William Hartnell used to live with when he stayed, was in London. You told me this before. Yeah, I've managed to block it from my mind because I don't want to think <laughs> of William Hartnell having anal sex, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Do not? Look at yeah. that little house. Did you see it? <laughs> I love that. I just Not... think, like, I, I don't always think in the first two years, Chibnall's comedy hit always. I, mm. May I remind you of the Wi-Fi family from yes. Resolution? <laughs> <laughs> I do think sometimes it worked a treat. This year, it's like a gag a minute. I know. He's, he's just, I feel like he's amped everything up to 11 because he's largely writing it himself. And I think this is the nearest you get to his version of Doctor Who. 
because the other ones are obviously his vision, but he's had this writer's room where he's pulling in loads of different writers with different ideas. And we know that some of those writers never delivered scripts, but they use concepts like the Pating. And then here you go, he is the lead writer. And probably just for scheduling and to give himself a breather, he gets somebody to write one other episode. Did you hear that interview with Joy Wilkinson that was out recently? Uh, I don't know whether I did, but I know Joy quite well. So, um... well, and she's she's talking about how they had to. So all the episodes were sort of laid out in the writers' room, yeah. and then they all had to pitch yeah. the episodes, and they had to choose like two or three. Mm. I don't know. If, I personally, I don't know if that is the best approach. Of like, okay, well, you could be writing any one of these. You know, yeah. I, sometimes I do think the episodes should be tailored to the writer, you know, or the writer's strengths. Yeah. Well, this is tailored to Chibnall's strengths. Like this is, yeah, this is where where his best is. And just, he get, oh, sorry, go on. No, go on. I'm just gonna say he gets this run. He's got flux, and then he has the two, the three specials afterwards, and you really get to see. Okay, he he he's really thought about what he's doing and where he wants to go because this is Chris Chibnall's Doctor Who for for like nine episodes. And he knows, like you know what, this is where it's ending as well. Yeah, know? I'm just gonna throw everything in. Yeah, and boy, does he! Especially when he got to that point in Power of the Doctor, where he had the Master <laughs> dancing to Rasputin and Sidemen and Daleks, going, "What the fuck <laughs> is going on here?" <laughs> but that, <laughs> tell but, me, you can't do comedy. <laughs> yeah, well, though apparently that was something that was decided on the day. The um, as in them, the Dalek and the Cybermen looking at each really? other. Really? Oh, yes, by, by the director. Oh, wow, is that Nick Pig? What in the Dalek? Yeah, um, yeah quite possibly. Oh. That was Jamie Magnus Stone again, wasn't it? It was, yeah, yeah. Now, this Lupari thing with them all each having a human. Why isn't the planet overrun with Lupari at this point? Well, he said there is a line. See, I was paying attention. He said <laughs> that he's slipped for a wormhole or something. There was a bit of techno babble, and he said, "Oh, he got here first. Right, okay. And then they all turn basically, and then everyone else turned up late, you know, afterwards. Yeah. And what happens, like, the, you know, because people are born all the time. Are Lapari born at the same rate as humans? How does it work? Like, I'm, I'm really nitpicking to pull, a, pull this apart because, much like a lot of Doctor Who, it doesn't stand up to, to scrutiny that this particular idea. But it, it, it's something that bugged me on original transmission, and I guarantee you, nobody else. No, Nobody, <laughs> no casual viewer sat there going, this Lapari thing doesn't quite work. Does it? Just going, oh, a lovely doggy. Exactly. exactly. But <laughs> ourselves like me sit there and go, no, that didn't work. No, no. Can I just ask, is this the first time we've ever seen someone having a dump on Doctor Who? <laughs> I think it might be. He's sitting down on the loo as well. Yeah, he might be having yes, a sit-down wee. Blokes that sits down to wee. Oh. oh, I much prefer a sit-down wee. Uh, really? Oh. Yeah, if if I'm at home, I sit down wee because I don't want to get it on the seat. If I'm out, I'll use a urinal, but I much prefer yeah, a sit-down A wee. real Dylan Reese here, you know. <laughs> it's unfiltered on Hampson or Blood Bend Night. <laughs> He's a sit-down wee -er. <laughs> I'll be cancelled on the internet next. This is pure moffin this, isn't it? This yeah. character just popping up who's going to be relevant later and going, oh, Doctor, oh, you don't yeah. know who I am. All right, I'm early. Sorry. <laughs> it is, but what a fantastic... We haven't had anything like this for two seasons, so I think it's important to remember that a casual viewer who's tuning in won't remember. They won't remember that that's like the timey-wimey version of Doctor Who that was on, at this point, five or six years ago. 
and we're really trusted as well because obviously she gets that amazing scene in a minute where the angel takes her back in time and then we don't see her again to episode four and we're trusted and i love yeah. it when the audience is trusted in episode four to remember from episode one because it's only a couple of weeks ago if you're watching this stuff you yeah. know oh yeah that's her that's this is where she went mm. yeah I, I also i said on one of our previous commentaries about um using sheffield and here liverpool mm. just seeing just seeing the tardis in those environments it's like and then you've got you know we were in alaska earlier very briefly mm. and it's like it just gives a, a sort of scope to the series that you don't get in I would say as the show's finding its feet in sort of series one, two, three, it's very much London, space, Victorian <laughs> era, Cardiff. It's not even planets, it's space yeah. stations. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then in this as well, you get, um, you know, that fabulous Temple of Atropos. Oh, my God. To, you know, in Once Upon Time, we go into that wibbly-wobbly place where the Doctor's floating about. Yeah. All those planets, the oh. passengers sucking people yeah. into. Sorry. Um <laughs> There is a huge scope to it. I don't think there's a, a story, because this is one story, really, isn't it? Yeah. With this amount of sort of geographical scope to it. Yeah. And yeah. Love as well. It does. This is like a contemporary story. And we get a fabulous in the future story. And we get yeah. two brilliant in the past stories. So it covers yeah. the whole ground of Doctor Who as well. Yeah, it, but it's it's it, what it does very cleverly is chop them all up for, for for the most part. So you get all the things Doctor Who always does, but not necessarily in the normal order. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fantastic, and I think this TARDIS set looks brilliant by this point as well. I th I don't think it looked fantastic in the first season, but it's in the uh, second and third, I think it looks great. I think they both they've learned how to shoot it, yeah, and light it really well. But also, I think. They're just really comfortable in there. There's yeah. a there's a sequence at the end where she's banging it with the hammer, and you know, yeah. and it is just like Tennant and Smith and all the others doing exactly the same thing, you know. Yeah. Oh, this bit with the angel, and I think I think this season gives us some of the finest weeping angel oh, yeah. material. Now this leaks, didn't it? This there was like a set photo of this angel in the street, so we knew. And then Stephen Moffat was like, "Yeah, they're back," and. Chibnall immediately made made him take it down from his Instagram. I I'm still not entirely sure why he was so reluctant. Yeah, I think there's there's the the biggest misfire of the era for me is sort of I don't want to use the term marketing because it won an award for its marketing, but um, <laughs> I, I I think its relationship with its audience beyond the story. Like it's just, and it's also we've been used to having Chris Chibnall, not Chris Chibnall, sorry, with Stephen Moffat and Ross T Davis, who are showmen, who are big names and faces of a brand. And Chris Chibnall, on the whole, just isn't interested in doing that, which is fine. It's not necessarily part of your job as a television showrunner, but I just think that the lead comes from him in that respect, and so there isn't the 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 grandeur and the relationship and the big events. That, that I think bring in your audience and get people hyped yeah. about the series. And it's something that, you know, you, you said RTD and Stephen Moffat. I do think Stephen Moffat era sort of flirted with a lot of that stuff. And I thought it sort of fell away a bit as time went on. Yeah. 
um rusty davies is the master of that isn't he mm. i'm gonna give you two spin-offs i'm gonna put you know dalek frubes in your supermarket yeah. <laughs> you're gonna have totally doctor who doctor who confidential you know blue pizza he just knew how to play it he, he knew how to put it everywhere so everyone was aware of it and I like you know when he was uh, promoting Nolly recently, and he was doing the rounds of you know he was on Graham Norton and things like that, because he's a big enough name that he can do that now. But I I honestly think that we were used to seeing him as fans, but I honestly think in this next era of RTD, he is as big a star almost as the people in it, and you will see him do the chat show circuits and things like that to promote the hell out of the show. I certainly hope so. He's fabulous to hear talk to. You know, everything's marvelous, isn't it? You know. Oh, he- I could listen to him talk for hours and hours and hours. He's amazing. Oh, uh, my word. Can I just say, Instant V Vinder has just turned <laughs> up on screen right now. Oh, the things that he and I have done in my head. <laughs> what a be- Do you know, Have you ever seen Game-, Game of Thrones? Yes, I have, yes. He gets his bits out in that, you know. I thought they got... Don't they get cut off? Oh, do they? Oh, I forgot isn't he that. one of the Unsullied and they cut their dicks I off? I think they... But no, isn't he the one where his head gets burst? Is that oh, I can't remember. I can't remember. They all they all die horribly. You see him in the buff and he's got nothing he's to do with He's a very handsome chap. He's also a very very talented musician. Well, I think he's also a very naturalistic actor as well. He's great. He is asked to deliver a shit ton of exposition in this scene. Yeah. Now, this is my biggest complaint with the era, is Chris Chibnall exposition, which I do feel is occasionally a little bit awkward. And he has to yeah. give his entire backstory <laughs> where he is, what he's doing, what's coming, <laughs> the words. And, it, you know, he's so, he delivers it so charmingly that I'm sold. Yeah. Now, he's, yeah, he's an actor that I could see in a different time getting a spin off because he could lead a show quite yeah. easily. Um, now, we've just seen the beautiful effect of the flux destroying these planets, but this was called Outpost Rose, so cue Twitter going, oh my God, Rose is coming back, Rose is coming back. Did did you think that at any point for a moment? No, me neither. No. no. But I did think this scene was really fucking scary. Yeah. If I woke up in the middle of the night and that fellow was standing there in the doorway like that, <laughs> and the way she plays it as well, where she starts screaming, this is like a scene from a horror movie. Yeah, it is, absolutely. And again, you couldn't have got away with this 15 years ago because the, the show's so confident now. It knows the extremes of scares it can go to that are still safe for, for kids to watch. Do you remember uh, in series 11 when people were saying, oh, Chibbles is playing it safe. This is the safest Doctor Who's been forever. Oh, I must feel as if you read that comment right. <laughs> have you. We have six episodes interlinked. <laughs> I'm going to screw continuity. <laughs> and the way these people, we saw it with the people from the division earlier, just burn away. Like they're literally being burnt out of existence. But it's a sci-fi burn. So it's scary and you get that it's an end. But without it, you know, being a human in flames. Yeah, it's a really, really interesting effect as well, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I don't think there's a line. This, this, this is a weakness. There's not a line that explains why she's here. I mean, I think it was just to keep them, keep them as far apart as possible. So he's imprisoned. She's basically been hidden as a human in Alaska, in the far reaches of Alaska. Like, I don't think you need the line. I think you can pick it up. 
Well, Chris Chibnall provided the line for me in the special features on the Flux Blu-ray set. Oh, right. I haven't got that yet. He said that she was um, she was basically in like a witness protection, you know. Right. That's why they gave her the guys and took away her memory and all this. So, yeah, you know, effectively what you just said there. Mm. But uh, I don't know, like, because you had those two scenes. And yeah. I remember, like, at the end of this going, well, what the hell was that all about? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, anything now on this Carvinista ship with the Doctor, right. Dan, and Yaz. Gold. Absolute comedy gold. Casey, you know, it's really Casey. Yeah. And she gets to say that line from Chris Freckleston, doesn't she? Yeah, nice to meet you, Dan. Run for your life. Yeah. Now, do you think um, th- this is this show's more confident now, but I want to know, could you show this to someone that doesn't really know what Doctor Who is without some explanations? Um, I, I probably wouldn't choose this. No, mm. I think this is a bit dense. Yeah. <laughs> to say, well, I'm going to introduce you to this fabulous show. Watch this episode, series, The Flux. But I think there are explanations in it if you're patient. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I think you're right, but I, it, yeah, it's difficult. I think if you see if you've seen the season before, then you're you're absolutely equipped with enough knowledge of the sort of canon or the shattered canon um to to kind of go forward with it because boy is there a lot of exposition in that uh <laughs> in the timeless children and beyond um such an argument with fraser gregory about that he thought that exposition was wonderful i'm going it's a bloody powerpoint presentation for 20 minutes <laughs> while the doctor's banged up <laughs> uh, i mean i'm sure i've said this to you before but the fact that he get got the word shabogans on primetime british television in the year of our lord 2020 or whatever it was i am i am there i don't care how bad the exposition <laughs> is i'm just like it's a win for fandom <laughs> i just want the fact that he managed to bring in the morbius doctor <laughs> <laughs> i know i know i was watching i was watching that episode when it went out live with a mate of mine who's very staunch classic series doesn't particularly love a lot of the new series and surprisingly even he was like he's done the fucking morbius doctors this is amazing <laughs> we went to the pub afterwards and he was just in bits he was like who would have thought you would see that on television ever i remember finishing the timeless children though and, and uh saying to my partner at the time oh, that was really good i really mm. enjoyed that and then yeah. i went lying and i was like oh <laughs> i mean I, I i still love it unapologetically so i i like it a lot i i i think it's good doctor who i'm not sure it's good television yeah do you know what it's the nearest the television series gets to uh, be feeling like extended universe sort of stuff, which I guess is why it appeals to me. Like it's almost big finish on TV in a way. I mean, yeah, we're going back to Gallifrey and we've got Sidemen and the Master and terribly yeah. exciting things going on. We could have had Ark of Infinity again, you know. Like, yeah. let's the the lounge of Rassilon. Just everybody <laughs> sat around. It looks like an advertising agency from the 80s. These sort of globe lights they've got in yeah. there. <laughs> but the thing is... It, we're still doing the timeless children here and we're still doing Gallifrey and mythos, but it's just done s- slightly more subtly and in a different way. So it's not hitting you over the head with it. I mean, we get tech later in the series, so mm. it's, it's yeah. not like it just drops it. Now, but- and interestingly enough, that's the one point where I thought the exposition was really good. And that's because Barbara Flynn is fucking. Oh. Get, give her a big finish box set. <laughs> Give me the adventures of Tech Chew out all that Chipper's SF exposition. Yeah. 
Give like, her a box set with the tiny little, the young Asian doctor who's in the Timeless Children for four I think seconds. she took a drag on a fag at the end as well, you know, <laughs> like, oh, this is, this is easy. I'll do cracker, you know, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but she said there, didn't she, about uh, she's she's after Carvinista because he is a he was a member of the division, and yeah. that's just left there, and then we don't pick that up until we go to the division later, isn't it? It's in the end of the Weeping Angel episode. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's a lot of trust. I really like that. I hate shows that explain if you know Pip and James scripts that explain everything as yeah. they go along. You know, sometimes twice. You know the. Cor- the correct Magarian was not did not switch on his translator, you know. <laughs> I think also at this point, Doctor Who may not have the world's biggest audience, but it has a solid audience. And it is four or five million people tuning in every week. And I know that's people a go success, isn't it? Yeah, isn't that considered a, a success? It's a success, but I'm assuming it's the same four or five million people. And like it might dip by a million one week because everybody's out and they watch it on iPlayer later. But that goes, okay, we've got 5 million people who really want to watch this show and they've been with it now for probably 15 years, however long the show's been back. So we can trust people with plots because they, they understand the language of television, which has changed a lot um, for, just from when Doctor Who came back. And they, they, they trust and know Doctor Who and they know it's all going to get wrapped up by the end of the season. But they, they are picking up the bits like as, as they go along. Given sort of how fickle an audience can be, the fact that five million people after thirteen series still yeah. want to watch this because I know shows in their you know tenth year that were diving down to you know one million viewers, you know yeah. less even, and they're solid numbers. And also, it's not just about the overnights and what it gets in the first month. This is something that the BBC are going to sell and people continue to watch again and again and again for years and years on end. It's about it's an investment of like this is a this is a product that's last for life. No one was expecting to ever see the underwater menace again after it was broadcast. It was made as a bit of disposable what a joy TV. that we have. <laughs> exactly. And I fool Dylan. Do, do you know people talk <laughs> about? Um, the intake of kids and how kids don't watch Doctor Who anymore. Mm. Kids don't watch television. Kids watch YouTube. Doctor Who's one of the few shows that kids still tune into. And it's no wonder that Doctor RTD is. said... Yeah. No, but RTD said recently that they can't get the money for a kid's spin-off because kids aren't watching TV. So, But the fact that they still want to watch this, and I know that RTD somewhere is going, right, how do we get kids into this? And I bet you there's a spin-off that ends up being like that Doomsday spin-off, aimed at kids, Five minutes on YouTube. Let's see if we get the kids involved and get them watching the main show. He's savvy enough, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. Just, you know, the kiddie Doctor Who TikTok channel. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. But like what you said about rewatchability there, I'm not lying when I say I've watched this through about four or five times now. Yeah, me too. I think this is such a, an eclectic sort of portmanteau of ingredients. There's yeah. so much in this. There's so much comedy and horror and drama and great yeah. acting moments and brill characters that I'll never get bored. There's just too much happening. And, and I tell you what, I think at some point uh, in the next three or four years, all of Doctor Who is going to end up on Disney+. Plus. And I think when people once they've got people in, I think with the first few seasons of Gatwa, you'll be able to get everything. And I think this is one that people will yeah. like audiences worldwide who haven't seen it will watch and fall in love with and go, oh, Doctor Who hasn't just been brilliant from 
you know, 2024. It's been brilliant forever. And it was doing fantastic, modern, amazing sort of television, like during the pandemic. It's exactly what happened with Deep Space Nine um, over in the Star Trek world, in that it was yeah. sort of like the forgotten middle child. And then it hit Netflix where people could yeah. binge it and it was all art based. Yeah. And everyone just loved it. And they were like, this is like, this was modern television 20 years ago, you know? Exactly. Got to talk about the Sontarans coming in here. Um, best Sontarans of the new series. Best Sontarans ever, I'm saying. They look brilliant. And they are that perfect mix of menace and humour. And I, I, we all knew they were coming up in the next episode, but nobody expected to see them here. So it was just like, all of a sudden we're like, okay, everything's a little bit more interlinked than we thought it was going to be. You know what they look, Dylan? They look disgusting. Really <laughs> disgusting. They do. I, re I remember Nathan going, oh no, Chibman's doing the Sontaras. He's going to make them really serious. And then, and then he watched it and he went, fuck me, they were funny. Mm. They are really funny. The line in War of the Sontaras where he goes, when I wanted to ride a horse. It's so funny. <laughs> I, I love that bit. I think there's sort of a lot of misapprehensions about the Sontarans because if you watch... They're um, always the funny. Yeah, the Time Warrior, they're funny. The only time they're not funny is the two Doctors and they're shit in that. No, hang on, wait. I need to take objection to this. The, the funniest joke in the two Doctors is they're so serious, you're right, but then that poor fella's emasculated. He's blown up, he's covered in acid, his leg flies <laughs> off. And I'm just like, oh no, this poor military leader, what else can possibly happen to him? Very the, true. The humour is in poking that serious bubble of it. <laughs> She's Jodie Whittaker's doing her hand thing. Yeah, you know, she sort of moves her hand when she's talking. Oh, I love the way she moves her hands, and I can't remember if it's this episode or the next one. I think it's the next one, so I'm going to save it when she does an introduction and just kind of moves moves her hands behind her head to introduce. It's in the next one. Oh, so, but it? anyway, yeah, War of the Sontarans, yeah. Oh, so we've got to have this soon, haven't we? Where they open the doors and the new companion stares out into space. Yeah, and long and long may it last. It's such a simple thing as well that the classic series never did and i think is it when do we first get it in the new series uh it's in the runaway bride i think yeah so it's out on the Ragnos. yeah so it even takes a couple of series for the new series to go okay we can do this but visually now that sort of the camera yeah. was going around the tardis whilst they yeah, were standing yeah. in it 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 felt very real oh yeah it's gorgeous <laughs> so the flux here now now i'm going to try and figure this out as we go along right so the flux is it's a bit like the nothing in the never-ending story. So it goes along and consumes everything. Yeah. And it's basically going after the Doctor. I think so, yeah. I think it's... I mean, I think it's going after everything, but it's somehow tied into Swarm and Azur, I think. I think I mean... Barbara Finn says that basically this universe is over. Yeah. The reason it's over is because you've been fucking everywhere and spoiling everything. We had a bit of a plan going on, and yeah. you've been there... Fucking it up. So we sent out the flux to destroy that universe. Do you know what I was hoping would happen at the end of Jodie Whittaker's era? Mm. Is that whoever the new doctor was, obviously it's turned out to be Tennant, left this universe, this dying universe, and went into that second universe and you you start again. That would have been really great. Yeah. You you can reboot the entire series without actually re and there could be versions of 
all the people she knows. about this before, you know, yeah. the Dalek Invasion of Earth. Of course, yeah, but this is yeah. slightly different to that because it's not the full reboot. It's an in-canon reboot, if you know what I mean. A bit like when the Doctor goes into the Divergent universe in um, uh, the Eighth Doctor audios. When you were suggesting doing, you know, new versions of old black and white stories, you know, with a big budget, oh, thirds of my audience had heart attacks, you know. <laughs> Our numbers dipped a bit that way. No, I'm joking. Well, I'm joking. well, look, guys, I work in film and television. Just hope that I never get my hands on Doctor Who. <laughs> you think Chibnall fuck things up for you? Oh, boy, I, I long for the day, do you know. <laughs> Look at Swarm's makeup. I know, it's beautiful. Such a... He does give off big Lawrence Fox vibes, though, doesn't he? It, he does a bit, yeah. Yeah, just as evil as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> just as entitled. And just all of the... They've got the costume designer, right, on War of the Sontarans. Mm. And the amount of detail he gives you about all the... He goes, that took me five days to do embroider that <laughs> suit, you know? <laughs> now, this feels like a finale. This is yeah, episode does. one as a finale. And we obviously get this point where the, the Doctor tries to hit, his, hit the flux with Vortex energy. And in any other series, that would be how the story finished, because it's 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 the ultimate sort of get out of jail free card. And I just love that it's sort of going. We all know that you guys think that this is what how you end a story, but actually, not even the the vortex energy can stop this. Yeah, I really like that because they've used they've kind of used the heart of the TARDIS a couple of times now, haven't yeah. they? As the cat, I, 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 I did like it the first time they used it back in the day, uh, Boomtown. And oh, yeah, I, I thought that was spectacular. But the way the flux just sort of bats it aside and goes, No, <laughs> I'm still coming for you. Yeah, it's um, oh, no, do you know what? This takes some confidence as well. In the middle of this massive action sequence, we cut to oh, he goes, I'm going to be late for Diane. We cut yeah. to on this dark, lonely street, and this is. Really scary scene number one, two, three, four, four. Yeah, where her, she can't stop her legs from taking her into that creepy ass yeah. house. But also, I don't know how many dates you've ever been on that would that have uh, involved meeting outside a uh, a dark abandoned house. But mine is around a total of zero. Oh, right, usually yeah, <laughs> parks, you know, toilets. Yeah. Like <laughs> <laughs> Look at that though, with that her silhouetted in the light of the door. Yeah. It's fantastic. And this Doctor Who feels at home on a Halloween. I know this isn't exactly a Halloween special, but forget a Christmas special. Give me Doctor Who Halloween specials every year. And I, I just remember this being really freaky because she goes into the house and then she's in water. Yeah. In like some weird quarry space. I know. It's it's just like big ideas. Like I, you... I really want to compliment the what's the actress's name that plays Azure? Um, yeah that one yeah one. we'll figure it out between episodes <laughs> um she's i think she's the scarier of the two yeah just how she very quietly goes you know oh we're going to have fun with you yeah it's really creepy and she's about to make her life completely hellish just for her own enjoyment yeah and this is like, so all the pieces are kind of in place now. We've been introduced yeah. to the Flux. We've been introduced to the Lapari. Mm. Uh, I think the idea that their ships can interlock has yeah. been introduced as well. I mean, look at that effect. That's Star Wars good, that is. Yeah. I mean, it, it reminded me of when Doctor Who came back and also 
Battlestar Galactica, the reboot was on. And mm. I remember watching the reboot of Battlestar Galactica and going, oh, Doctor Who doesn't look as good as this. Doctor Who can't do this. And now here we are. And yeah, and I, I think it's just going to get better as well. Yeah, me too. Me too. I think it, it has to, if it's going to Disney Plus, it has to sit alongside shows like The Mandalorian and things like that, but all those Marvel shows. So it has but, to look as good as them. But in terms of production value, I think this is the best the show has looked to this point. Yeah. I don't think I don't think anybody can argue with that. I mean somebody will, it's Doctor Who fandom, but uh yeah, I just don't see it. And I love it. Do you not know the way you've got three sets of doors that open? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but also like just the menace of the, the flux sort of just hurtling towards them. And it's such a in many ways a simple special effects, but it just looks so alien. Mm. And we're gonna say that a lot, you know. It looks yeah. weird. I love weird in science yeah. fiction, you know. It, it, it's the weirdest looking season of Doctor Who that, that you get. And when we get onto the next episode, like the, the way that opens is just a whole a whole other world. Ah, oh, this is the bit. And yeah. you know, the uh, we haven't even mentioned second Akinola and his music throughout. Oh it's, my god. I've got, I've, bought the score for this and it That's i think it's brilliant but the strings that he brings in mm. in this bit now where we're cross-cutting yeah. to every single character Just lining up and going this it's a real like mission statement of we're about to take you on a massive adventure with all of these characters and races you think this is exciting you haven't seen anything yet baby all right exactly and then bang out with her saying, "I, you know, I always wondered what the end of the universe would look like." Yeah, absolutely beautiful. We barely talked about Jodie Whittaker in that, you know. I mean, there's a, there's a lot to talk about, and there's a lot going on, and it's the bit one of the busiest episodes because it's setting everything up. I think she yeah. gets her moments later down the line that are, are more sort of Doctorish performance moments. Well, can I let you into a little spoiler then for episode two? Go on. You remember I said to you that I thought Jodie Whittaker's best performance ever was in one of the episodes this year. Okay. I think it's in War of the Sontarans. I think she's she's of a brilliant episode. She is the best thing in that episode. I think you're probably right. She gives a fantastic performance and she does throughout the the season. But uh, yeah, she it's a her return. She's got a big doc energy, as uh, I like to call it. By, by that point. And she just covers the range. That's what I love. Yeah. The whole range yeah. from comedy to drama to disgust to exactly. being a bit cheeky. Yeah. Um, well, Dylan, that's the Halloween apocalypse down. Well, I mean, talk about for the next five hours. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? We better get started. Should we do it? Yes, let, let's do it. Let's do 